Welcome, market participants, to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week, we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. It's shaping up to be a long, hot summer in a decidedly unsettled world. No rest for the weary. This week, our three things are, one, corporate earnings. Growth should slow, but remain good enough for credit. Two, KBRA Altman default forecast. Our latest reading has jumped significantly. And three, a lack of economic excesses. That points to a shorter and shallower downturn. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. We've commented recently how investor concern has shifted from an inflation shock to a growth shock. Now, to be clear, we don't get too caught up in semantics here, as these two shocks are clearly related. After all, it is the inflation shock that is triggering, via the Fed's tightening of financial conditions, a growth shock. Whatever the particulars, the growth shock apparently is here. The Atlanta Fed GDP Now growth estimate for Q2 has plummeted over the course of the quarter from a high of 2.5% to a negative, negative 1.9%. The yield curve has inverted once again, with twos tens turning negative. The price of oil has rolled over as the fall-off in demand is exceeding the fall-off in production. And of course, the June FOMC minutes warned of all of this, as most participants assessed that risks to growth are now skewed to the downside. When it comes to recession, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck. But hold on. Two factors are bolstering investors' sentiment somewhat here, the tight labor market and corporate earnings. On the labor front, jobs growth remains in the healthy range, but labor participation remains depressed. The former is important to keep spending levels up, but the latter serves as a drag on economic growth. In any event, it is hard to have a recession, or another leg materially wider in credit spreads, with jobless levels holding at structurally low levels. Corporate earnings season kicks off with a vengeance next week, and the expected growth rate for the S&P 500 is 4%, according to the Bloomberg consensus estimates, boosted by margins that are expected to be at or near record levels, 13% on a net income basis and 16% on an operating basis. Let's dig a bit beneath those headline numbers. Despite the weight of the index's sell-off in Q2, down 14%, analysts lowered EPS estimates in the quarter by just 1%, according to FactSet. Seven of the 11 S&P sectors saw Q2 estimates lowered during the quarter to more than 5%, communication services down 8%, and consumer discretionary down 19%. Two sectors saw their estimates increase by more than 5%, materials up 9%, and energy up 39%. So clearly, a mixed bag of results are on the way. From our perspective, we expect the effects of higher costs to begin to chip away at those stimulus-boosted margins. Top-line growth is expected to be 10%, so expect to hear quite a bit about the higher cost narrative, but we'll listen closely for guidance on the inflation story. Judging by the recent rollover in commodities prices, softness on the future sales front could be met with moderating cost pressure, and that just might be sufficient to keep this all-important pillar of equity and credit markets strong. All right, on to our second thing. 
our KBRA Altman default rate forecast. We've just updated our KBRA Altman one year forward default rate forecast. And here to walk you through it is Dr. Harry Mameski, professor at Columbia Business School, where he serves as the director of the Program for Financial Studies. In addition to his academic work, Harry has a long and distinguished career as a practitioner in credit markets, both as a senior portfolio manager and as a risk manager. Harry is also a consultant to KBRA. Harry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ben. I'm really happy to be here. I'm a regular listener, so it's great to be on as a guest. Terrific. Always happy to have fans on the podcast. Um, So, Harry, tell us about the KBRA Altman one-year forward default forecast. I see that it has jumped from 2.65% at March 31st up to 3.76% at June 30th. How significant is this? Thanks, Van. That's a great question. It's significant. It is a big jump. At the beginning of the year, we stood at 2.55%. Now we're at 3.76%. So that's a ways away from 2.5%. However, in the grand scheme of things, it's not such an enormous rise. If you look at our default history going back to the 1970s, the average annual default rate has been about 3.61%. So we're basically right there. I know things might feel a lot worse than that when you're looking at news about the world and all the craziness that's going on, but the model's objective assessment of things is what it is, and that's at 3.76%. Talk to us, Harry, about what's driving the increase to that current level. Sure, uh, absolutely. So, of course, the big story in 2022 in financial markets and the economy is the spike in inflation that we saw at the beginning of the year. And the Fed needed to respond to that. So we've seen a lot of tightening of financial conditions. The Fed target rate is now at one and three quarters percent. If you begin to look at financial conditions, they've really tightened a lot. Look at 30-year mortgage rates. We're just looking at this before our call here. It went from 3% last year to 6% now. It's an incredible move and certainly an incredible amount of tightening in the housing market. And by the way, it's working, right? If you look at commodity prices, If you look at inflation break-evens, those are really reflecting the assessment that what the Fed is doing is going to work and going to tame inflation. Of course, the big question is, will all of this Fed tightening lead to a recession? How bad will the recession be? And obviously, that's what credit investors are really focused on. And our model is picking up a lot of those types of influences. Thanks for that, Harry. I noticed that our research in KBRA Altman also produces two scenario forecasts, benign and severe, in addition to the base case forecasts. What do those scenarios tell us? Sure, that's a really great question. So look, anyone who's worked in predicting, anyone who's worked in investing understands prediction is really, really hard. Just many things can happen in the world that we don't know about, that no model can know about, and nothing can anticipate all of these things. So in recognition of that fact, In addition to creating our base case forecast of 3.76%, we also create a benign and a severe forecast. So our benign forecast is now at 1.56%, and our severe forecast is at 5.96%. So about 1.5% and 6%. What does that mean? Well, the way we estimated these benign and severe scenarios is to think of each of them as a one in five outcome. So think of the benign one as... 20% of the time, things will be about this good or better. And think of the severe one as 20% of the time, things will be about this bad or worse. The way to think about our forecast is really as a range. The way to think about any forecast is as a range. Our current range is between 1.5% and 6%, with a base case 
of about three and three quarters percent. That means we think that 60% of the time, if you were to run the next year over in some big simulation of the world, 60% of those times, actual defaults will be between one and a half and 6% and on average at 3.76%. And we'd really like people to think of it in those ways as opposed to saying we have a crystal ball is going to be 3.76.999%. Like no one knows the world to that degree of precision. And our benign and severe forecasts are just trying to recognize and acknowledge that fact. Yeah, that's that's very helpful. Thank you for that. So I also noticed in the analysis, Harry, we compare uh, the COVID default experience with two previous default spikes, WorldCom Enron back in the early 2000s and the GFC back in 2008 and 9. When you compare the three crises, if you will, you know, what comes to mind? Sure, that's a great point. So the COVID default experience has been really very benign. The default rate peaked during COVID at around 5%. Just to put it into context, during the global financial crisis, the peak was closer to 13%. And WorldCom Enron, the default rate was about 15%. So COVID has been much more muted. So what gives? Well, first of all, both WorldCom and Enron and the global financial crisis were really crises of confidence. In the first one, people questioned whether management teams could be trusted and whether when you look at an accounting number, whether it was true. In the second one, and I remember this one very vividly, people questioned our entire financial system. People didn't know if our major banks were solvent. So it was really a loss of confidence in some of the institutions of our economy. And fortunately, COVID really wasn't like that. In fact, COVID was almost the opposite. People really trusted the government. People really trusted our corporations who came in and created vaccines, and created all sorts of tools that people use to get our economy and our society out of the COVID crisis. And in addition to that, COVID was accompanied by massive stimulus by the government. So you combine the absence of loss of confidence in our institutions of government and our corporations with the massive stimulus that we saw, and it really suppressed the kind of default spike that could have happened relative to what happened historically and just looking back at the data, it seems that the worst outcomes for credit markets are ones where investors lose confidence. And fortunately for us, that just did not happen this time around. Those are great points, Harry. Thank you very much for walking us through everything on the KBRA Altman one-year forward default forecast. You can find all of our research around the default environment in our KBRA Altman suite of data analytics. And you can find information on that on our website, kbra.com. Click on the KBRA Altman tab. All right, on to our third thing, a comforting lack of excess. Our fundamental backdrop coming into 2022 centered around what we call the great deceleration, the correction economies and markets would have to navigate as they adjust to a post-stimulus world. The severity of that correction would be a function in part of the degree and location of excesses or distortions in the economy or markets that became destabilizing or unsustainable. We now know, with 2020 hindsight, two points of excess. Too much stimulus and too much monetary accommodation have contributed, along with the dual shocks of war in Europe and longer-than-expected Chinese lockdowns, to higher-than-desired inflation. But where else are excesses that have to undergo correction before policymakers and investors can breathe easier? Surely the housing market would seem to fall into that camp. 
But this is a very different housing situation than the one that triggered the global financial crisis in the mid-2000s. Yes, housing affordability has diminished significantly, something policymakers view as suboptimal for sure. But importantly, this has to do with a lack of available supply, as opposed to the lead-up to the GFC, which featured a supply bubble fueled by reckless housing finance and failed oversight. In the GFC, that bubble bursting crippled the financial system and exposed overlevered consumers. Today, the Fed's signaling it will aggressively tighten financial conditions has significantly raised mortgage rates, which is gradually letting the air out of the residential housing bubble. In terms of supply, a lack of new homes figures to moderate any price correction. Residential investment as a percentage of GDP has been materially lower over the past five years than it was in the five years leading up to the GFC, making the destructive power of this correction far more palatable than the one following the GFC. The same can be said for corporate investment. At just over 13% of GDP, it is running near its long-term average and well below the 15% level it reached prior to recessions in the early 1980s and the early aughts. Those corrections, along with the GFC, were long and painful, as businesses and consumers, respectively, faced a multi-year adjustment period that led to high unemployment. In addition, the financial system in those past downturns was deeply exposed to those excesses. That is not the case today, particularly within the banking system, something we talked about in last week's podcast. All of this points to a greater probability that the upcoming downturn is likely to be shorter and more shallow than was the case when excesses were more extreme. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, corporate earnings. Growth should slow, but remain good enough for credit. Two, KBRA Altman default forecast. Our latest reading has jumped significantly. And three, a lack of economic excesses. That points to a shorter and shallower downturn. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBRA.com for our latest research and ratings reports. See you next week.